cultivating relationship. That is our theme for the month of October, an interesting phrase, cultivating relationship. When I shared at the men's breakfast a few weeks ago that this was the upcoming monthly theme, as tables out on the labyrinth were being cleared, I heard one man say, I'm not so sure how I feel about being cultivated. <laughs> I get that. When one thinks about cultivating a garden, it's not a pleasant thing to think of one undergoing that treatment personally. So just to be clear, I don't think we're talking about cultivating people. We are not cultivating each other. We are cultivating that intangible something that exists between one person and another, one living thing and another, that invisible connection. How do we nurture and care for and strengthen that something we call relationship? Well, it's pretty simple, right? At least in theory. Simple to talk about, anyway. Many would point first to the golden rule, sometimes found in its negative formulation, as you heard in the reading from Confucius, do not impose on others what you do not wish for yourself. And sometimes found in its positive formulation, as in these words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Matthew in the section known as the Sermon on the Mount. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. That's what I was trying to get at with the words of the doxology. The golden rule applies, it's true. What I expect, I give to you. What must exist between you and me is R-E-S-P-E-C-T. The golden rule appears in some formulation in practically every religion and ethical philosophy that has ever been. There's a reason it is described as golden. It is certainly a valuable precept and a shining example of how I would like to live my life. And I've discovered that it is incomplete. I do believe that what must exist between you and me is R-E-S-P-E-C-T, but as I think of that wonderful song written by Otis Redding and performed most memorably by Aretha Franklin, there is one line that I hear in a new way. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Did you hear that? To respect me, you must first find out what respect means to me. To truly respect you, I must first learn what respect means to you. The golden rule, as golden as it may be, universalizes my own understanding of what is good and bad, what is welcome and unwelcome, what shows respect and what does not. And then I let that 
my own understanding of what respect is to me, I let that guide my relationships and expect you to respond as I would respond. It does not really allow for diversity. It is based on assumptions. And it reminds me again of the words of Confucius. Do you want to know what knowledge is? When you know something, recognize that you know it. And when you don't know something, recognize that you don't know it. That's knowledge. To borrow some words from the introduction to the Beloved Conversations curriculum, if I am to live healthily in a multiracial, multicultural, and often theologically diverse community, I must recognize what I don't know. I may know what respect means to me, and even that requires exploration and intentional reflection. I may come to know what respect means to me, but I don't really know what respect means to you unless I ask, unless we have an opportunity to communicate with one another. It becomes my responsibility, if I am to respect you, to find out what it means to you. Allison captured this beautifully in sharing her reflections on the eighth principle. She starts by saying, accountably is the word I have chosen, not because I know exactly what this will entail, I don't know. Following the advice of Confucius, she recognizes here what she does not know. Allison continues, but I do know that accountability means other people will be involved that I will be open to their input, to their responses. Being accountable means letting go of certainty while being open to knowing how my actions impact another, maybe even asking. In other words, my good intentions, even when guided by the golden rule, do not guarantee the type of impact that I intend. I need to let go of my certainty that I know how other people wish to be treated, what feels welcoming, what encourages a sense of belonging, and be willing to ask and listen. This has led to what people call the platinum rule, which suggests we act toward others not necessarily in the ways that we would have them act toward us, but in the ways they would have us act toward them. Do unto others as they would have you do. But whether we adopt the platinum rule or whether we understand the golden rule at a deeper level, understanding that part of how I would have others do unto me includes showing R-E-S-P-E-C-T, by finding out what it means to me. But whatever we call the rules for behavior, what is clear is that cultivating relationship grows out of real curiosity about our diversity and opportunities for meaningful conversation. It involves letting go of certainty. It involves recognizing what I know, how I want to be treated, 
and what I may not know yet, how you want to be treated. And though not as tidy as the golden rule or the platinum rule, this is all still fairly easy to say. It is, however, very challenging, messy, sometimes frustrating in practice. Let me offer a quick example. There was a practice in this congregation, low many years ago in pre-pandemic time, of inviting visitors to our worship service to stand and introduce themselves as part of the welcome. They would tell where they were from, if they were traveling through, or if they resided within our community or had recently moved in, share a little about what brought them to the service. Now, there were many who loved that piece in the service. They may have remembered fondly being given that opportunity when they first arrived, or they may have made a meaningful connection with someone after the service because of what was shared at that time. So when we stopped doing that as part of the service, there were many who expressed displeasure, and I understand that. For them, if they were to follow the golden rule, they would extend that opportunity to everyone as part of their absolutely sincere welcome to the community. How could anyone not like this? But we know that this practice is not welcoming to everyone. I had other people tell me, sometimes on the sly, that if that had happened when they were first visiting, they would have snuck out the door never to return. <laughs> and while the defenders of the practice would point out that it was simply an invitation and not a command for visitors to share, realistically, there would always be that uncomfortable moment when people in any given pew would look toward the new faces, waiting to see if they would say anything. Not intended to pressure anyone, but pressure nonetheless was part of the impact. And, in all fairness, it didn't feel like simply ending that practice was the best way to go either. The practice clearly held the promise of deepening connections for some, so how do we direct that energy into its proper venue? How do we respond to a wide variety of personalities and cultures and life experiences? How do we create congregational practices that help us to live healthily in a multiracial, multicultural, and often theologically diverse community? If I am responding to one set of expectations or inspirations or aspirations, does that mean necessarily that I am not responding to all the other sets? How do we nurture the health of the community, the good of the whole, knowing that means that we will need to be sacredly flexible, open-hearted, curious, and accountable? How do we communicate within and outside our congregation with the realization that every conversation is a cross-cultural 
conversation. I love that. Every conversation is a cross-cultural conversation, even if your conversation partner is from the same cultural group. That comes from the beloved conversations material that Allison read. And the first time I read that, it blew my mind. It made me realize that I was still assuming things about people that I kind of sort of thought were like me. Either because of how they looked or acted or responded to me. People from the same or similar cultural group. But that is just another false assumption. It is another excuse for me to show respect based on what R-E-S-P-E-C-T means to me without doing the work of finding out what it means to you. It leads me to go for the gold rather than the platinum. We're all family under one sky, yet every family conversation is a cross-cultural conversation. Every conversation is a cross-cultural conversation. That helps me, in the words of Confucius, to recognize what I don't know. And that, in itself, is knowledge, or at least a beginning of knowledge. And being truly curious about the other person, asking and listening and responding to what another person shares, being open to their input, using words that honor, acting in ways that celebrate our differences and recognize our similarities, letting go of certainty while being open to knowing how my actions impact another, asking for help, listening from that place of caring. We will not do it perfectly. There are times when it feels like every response or decision leaves someone out when we are intending to welcome everyone in. We will not do it perfectly, but we can commit to doing it faithfully, to stay in the struggle when we fail to meet our highest aspirations, to learn from our mistakes and pledge to do better, to extend forgiveness, to hold ourselves accountable, to engage with open hearts and open minds, adding a little at a time to what we know and remaining keenly aware of what we do not know. Recognizing what I do not know opens up possibilities for knowledge and more. It opens up possibilities for cultivating relationship, for deepening connections. It opens up possibilities for that which many traditions would call love. And without love, all these words are vain as sounding brass and hopeless gain. What must exist between you and me is R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Let's find out what it means together. <laughs>